Welcome to Out of the Blank. to another episode of out of the blank podcast here with james james it's a pleasure to have you on the show please introduce yourself to everyone out there listening hi i'm james hughes uh, i go by jay i'm a sociologist ethicist uh, on tv i play a philosopher sometimes um and i am the associate provost at umass boston um and the founder and director of the institute for ethics and emerging technologies which we call a techno progressive think tank where, uh, by which I can explain more, but um, basically a think tank that uh, tries to bring together people who are interested in the uh, possibilities of emerging technologies and focus a um, progressive political light on them. Are you more worried about tech or are you more worried about people, what they do with tech? Because I've been talking to a lot of people with the transhumanist subject, and I always bring up a lot of ethical issues that kind of go around with it. Most people have fear of Skynet. I used to have that fear, but understanding more about it, I'm just afraid of what we will do with the technology, considering the technology we have right now, as base as it is to a lot of the transhumanist discussion, still can't seem to lose its gra our grasp from politics and seems to really divide us even more with the way that we use it, which I don't think is the technology's fault. I just think it's the human need to kind of argue and then argue turns into debate and debate kind of boils down into, let me tweet about this person until they know I hate them. <laughs> well, um, I would say that the starting point of most of the conversations that I have with people um, and that I think is also indicative of the, what I call the techno-progressive perspective is that most of people's contemporary concerns about emerging technologies, about artificial intelligence, genetic engineering, things like that, um, are ahistorical. They don't take account of the fact that we've already been doing whatever they're talking about for a long time. And the pointing out the continuities from the past are an important part of the explanation and setting the context. And that when you really break down what a lot of people are worried about, it's not the technology itself. It's about the social and political and economic circumstances of the technology. And that if you reframe it in that way, what people are really worried about is capitalism and fascism, not technology, right? So, you know, keeping track of people, keeping track of your citizens is something every government's been trying to do for 150 years. Um, and they've been using whatever technologies available at the time. And yes, fascist governments try to keep track of their citizens and do terrible things to them. The problem there is not the keeping track of your citizens, it's the fascism. And so, et cetera, et cetera. That's, I, I think that's a, a useful rule of thumb in almost all these debates. Well, how do you get rid of that, though? How do you create this like perfect place where we can have a harmony with technology and a harmony with people? Maybe it's not the technology's fault, but... I don't we don't we have not come to even close to a conclusion on how to solve that inherent need for people to want to make profit for themselves and also try and find a way to 
do it in any really means necessary. I, I don't know if that really makes sense, but a concept of we don't care for if we're going to make money doesn't matter if it messes up somebody's life who we don't know their name, their face, their families or anything of that sort. Well, I, I think part of the problem is the expectation that we might ever have a frictionless, perfectly running society. We want uh, the society to be to have many different ideas and many different components. We want there to be a balance of forces in the future. So uh, again, a totalitarian regime is may appear from the outside to be you know perfectly well oiled machine but it's not the one that we want um so you know i think a heterotopia is what some people call it we our idea of of a utopian future is a heterotopia it has a, a lot of different kinds of things going on in it so in terms of the balance between the market and the state um i tend to be a lot more towards the state um in the sense that I think that we need a lot of planning, we need a lot of industrial policy, we need a lot of redistribution, we need universal basic income, we need national health insurance. Um, and eventually we might be able to plan even more stuff. We might be able to have um, uh, you know, the distribution of goods be more done through planning than through the market. But um, in the short term, but you know, in the future that we can still imagine, um, I don't think anyone wants a future in which no one's able to buy or sell stuff. <laughs> it's hard to even imagine the, that society at this point, although it used to be a part of people's imagination. Um, and uh, so private property, I think, is going to be a constituent element of the future. And so the question is, how, you know, do we want a society where uh, the average firm, uh, the owner of an average firm makes 300 times what the average worker in that firm makes, or 3,000 times, or 3 million times? Um, you know, is do we want a society dominated by Bezos and, and Musk and people like that, or do we want to have more democracy? That's the kind of question we face right now. Yeah, I'm about to say, I don't know the answer to that one. I couldn't even think of a, a way to tackle that situation because that's where we're at right now. It's what we're stuck in, and I don't see any change really happening to be able to move that. I, I, I like Musk. I think he's a funny guy at times, but I don't expect him to be a savior like a lot of people tend to. Um, honestly, there's a lot of people in positions of power. We call them rich billionaires, and I only see it going farther down that direction. Even with skewing companies, for instance, if we have companies that are making an advanced technology, let's say nanotechnology for medical purposes, I mean, what stops that person from moving away from their original goal to maybe benefiting humankind all on an aspect of they just make the market tighter for you to get funding, and the only way you can get funding now is to reach out to a billionaire, and he only wants you to make specific goods for his profit of his business. Then that person that maybe wanted to make a revolutionary nanotechnology decides, oh, I can't go in this direction anymore. Maybe I'll pick it up later. Let me go help this billionaire so I can get some funding for my company and get my name in the market or at least my foot in the door. And then what's 15, 20 years later and they look back and they go, holy crap, I just lost track of the original goal. I look at that like Bill Gates. I bet he didn't always wear sweaters. Well, first let's separate the question of billionaires from the, the question of private um, control or the corporate control of innovation. One of the questions I think we want to confront for the future is how do we incentivize 
industry, you know, if, if we're going to have industry being the primary driver of innovation, and I think it is, um, how do we incentivize industry to do the kinds of innovation that we think are socially useful and uh, to regulate, to be regulated in ways to reduce the amount of harm that it does? So environmental regulations, workplace regulations, we've got, you know, for six years, we've been trying to regulate social media companies privacy in the uh, surveillance capitalist firms. Um, so we already have robust regulation. Europe's is more robust than ours. China has basically thrown up its hands because of the threat to Xi Jinping's power. But basically, you know, China has uh, throttled all of its billionaires in private industry. So it's not as if there's no solutions. There's solutions all around us. I would prefer a more European solution um, to try to bring pressures to bear on industry and to incentivize industry to do the right kinds of things. When you mention uh, nanotech and biotech, um, one of the big problems is that, you know, the short-term profit motive in biotech and in the innovation of medicines is more towards boner pills than it is towards curing malaria. And that's because people with malaria don't have a lot of money and people who need boner pills do. And so we need to change the incentives in the innovation marketplace by saying, as we did with COVID, you make a vaccine and even if it doesn't work very well, we're still going to buy it and pay for it because we want there to be a variety of vaccines in this space. Um, and, and that worked well. That, that did what it needed to do. We need to do that for a lot more things going forward. Now, the question of billionaires is a separate question, um, which is, do we want small groups of individuals or families to control our societies, our industry, and our democracy, and I don't think we do. Um, you, all you have to do is look at a place like the Philippines, for instance, where uh, about 200 families controlled the entire country um, and because of the accumulation of wealth there. Um, and we're not quite to that point in the United States, but when one billionaire can decide on a whim that he wants to uh, buy the major political discussion platform in the country and possibly put a guy who tried to overthrow our government back onto that platform so he can run for president again. Um, I think we're, we're in a situation where we have to confront the fact that billionaires are a specific uh, evil in the kind of society that we've created. Well, we just need new rules and regulations for billionaires. If they have the billionaire mindset, they're exceptional people, then they should run by different guidelines, right? They shouldn't have to run by the mere lines of what us mortals or what us regular people would do. So you're, you're being facetious, I assume. You don't really believe that just because somebody has a billion dollars, they should have different rules to play by. They, they don't, shouldn't get to kill people, right? No, they, people for, they, for sport. no, they don't get that. That's that 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 would be like a more of a uh, and I uh, guess I, I would say like a badge. That would be something completely different. When I mean more rules, I mean probably stricter regulations when it comes to how much they can influence things. The issue starts to become is with the people that I've talked to, the academics I've talked to, especially in the field of astrology or astronomy, whatever you want to call it, when you're looking up at the sky at night, they're looking to Elon Musk and they're looking to these types of people that are funding these random academics throughout these institutions for their own nefarious gain, in a sense, when it comes to space travel, when it comes to building a space hotel, they're reaching out to academics when it comes to, let me just hire a couple of these academics in the space field to be able to design a rocket or be able to get some input onto doing this to go to Mars or something of that sort. I only see it getting worse from there. I mean, if that's happening now, 
we look to the future of what's it going to lead to. And it's going to be a bunch of academics that are going to be like, my institution isn't funding me for my project that I want to do. I might as well reach out to this, but let me maybe adjust the plans. You know, the billionaire is going to have their own input to adjust their thing. I don't want that at all, but I also don't trust government to come in with regulation and make acceptable technology or make acceptable decisions when it comes to the progress of humankind. I mean, I don't. Okay. But let's just stop there because when people say they don't trust government, there's reasons not to trust government. And that's primarily that government is undermined by the influence of big corporations and the rich and, you know, the military industrial complex and things like that. And, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's the best of all possible, you know, it's, it's a terrible form of government, but it's the best one we've ever come up with is democracy. And um, the perfection of democracy is the solution. Do you not agree with that? Or do you have a post-political, you know, do you, are you an anarchist? Or do you think that democracy no. is the best possible form of government? I think, you, I think you need good government. I definitely think you need good regulations. I just don't trust the ones that are going on right now. Whether it's Republican, whether it's Democrat, I really don't care. I just haven't really seen anybody that hasn't really been kind of corrupted in a sense. I mean, I like freedom of speech. Um, I do think there needs to be like you can't incentivize people all the time to go steer up or trash anything, can't burn down your own government. I think you need to have pride in your government, but I haven't seen that with any transparency on anything that has really been coming up. It's all this whole back and forth. The whole pandemic has been like that. It's complete 180s all over the board. I go, if you want trust, you got to have trust in your politicians. And a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people are more than happy to fight on Twitter over Republican or Democrat. And I couldn't give a shit who you voted for in that aspect. I look at the benefit of what's going on around us right now. We have gas prices that are rising. We have people that can't pay them. We have people that are losing their homes. We have people that are living on the street. Those are issues we need to fix. But I haven't seen anybody who's fulfilled their promise of keeping their promise or whatever that goes on once they get into position of office. I don't want to press you too hard in this, Robbie, but you really yeah. can't make a choice between a party that thinks that the Democrats are baby-eating Satanists and who don't believe in science on the They're whole, all Satanists. And that's, who that's think the that trick. the last election was overthrown and you know was illegitimate. You can't make a choice between that party and the Democrats who want to expend healthcare uh, access and want to protect women's rights to choose. I, I don't understand anybody who says they can't choose between those two parties. I know which party I think is <laughs> the party that's going to lead us to ruin and which isn't. I mean, did the Democrats do it before Trump better either? I'm not saying Trump was an answer. I'm not saying Biden's an answer either. I didn't choose Republican or Democrat. If anything, I'd be a libertarian, but I didn't vote at all during this election. I'm just curious to who stays in office, who's done the things that they said that they were going to do. Well, look, when your kids ask you what you did to fight fascism when it reemerged in the 21st century, I hope you don't tell them that you did nothing. Um, we face a fascist threat. Um, we face it all over the world. India is in the control of uh, uh, pro-fascist movement. China is as fascist as I think it could be. Russia is an imperialist fascist power. The Russian imperialists are in bed with the Republicans. You know, they, the, the Russian fascists put Fox News clips on their nightly news to justify what they're doing in Ukraine. And the Trump regime and the MAGAs are basically a domestic fascist movement who are now poised to make contraception illegal in the United States. So 
I don't see how you could possibly say that you are going to just going to take a pass on the question of democracy in the United States. This is a, a serious and ongoing personal threat. Now, let's get back to technology. I think if you take seriously, Hold that, on, I just think you just like you just pinned me as a Republican and I'm not. No, I just, no, I, I'm, I'm I just, saying you said you're you didn't vote and that you're probably a libertarian. I'm saying if you're a serious libertarian, you have to take seriously the fact that we face a fascist I don't take threat. politics seriously. I don't take any of this seriously. It's not it, I I don't see the problem that stops at a party whether whoever you choose. I don't I'm not saying it's an Illuminati type, but I think you got a lot of corporations that somehow have funneled their way and got their fingertips into not just politics, but just the government system in general. I think there's a lot of big, giant working gears that have been working in the direction it's been going for a very long time. You have one person that comes in there says, I want to do this. That's not going to happen because you're not going to get backed by anything like that. You're not, you're not a president. You can consider that person makes all the decisions. Sure. I don't believe that though. I think that there's a bunch of other things that they, you go, they go and take one step in one direction. They step on a spider web of issues and start leading into the fact of, oh, shit, what's going to happen when I do this? You realize this is going to mess up this and this is going to mess up this. I don't I, I, I this whole political thing is whatever you want to say it is. I'm not any of these Republican or Democrats. Seems like you're trying to pinhole me as a Republican, but I'm no, not. No. I'm just saying you can't take a pass when we face fascism, right? If this was 1938 Germany, which feels like it to me sometimes, you can't just say, oh, a fly on both your houses. Hitler and the people who are opposed to Hitler, just to put, I'm, I'm not, I'm apolitical. It's all the same thing. That doesn't make any sense to me. Now, and in the context where genetic engineering, nanotechnology, artificial intelligence are all going to be in play in a future where we face fascism. Um, I don't think you can just say you know, that that's not a part of the picture. I, and look, if we had two more votes in the Senate, if the Democrats had two more votes in the Senate, the Democrats would have passed $2 trillion program that would have revolutionized the use of technology in the United States in terms of, for instance, green technology. Um, the fact that corporations do have disproportionate influence in the Democrats, specifically over Mansion and Cinema is the reason that that didn't get passed. Um, and then the big corporations do have enormous influence over the Republicans and the fascists. So I, look, I, I'm, I'm just saying, I don't think you get to take a pass when, we, when democracy and liberty is on the table, especially if you're a libertarian. Yeah, I just I, it seems like you're a, a, like you're really left, you're really Democrat, and I'm not against you in any sense i'm just looking at if we're talking about technology is eventually going to get pushed into politics here and there's a control aspect technology is always political there is no technology everything's political how do we stop yeah. that that's what i want that's that's all i've ever wanted was everything to stay out of politics every topic you can really talk about literally leeches down into politics and it kind of sucks because i don't think politics can be done right either way now i'm not sitting in being like oh i'm just going to stay out of this i don't i, I also don't want to pick a side if anything i want to talk about issues where we can put the global face of the humanity on the grand aspect of everything i don't think of just this country i don't think of just one party i don't think of just this i think of the whole scale board honestly doesn't even come to my mind when I think about technologies of this sort. Now, if you're telling me that this all leaks into politics and this all leaks into that, is there a way to stop that? Do you want that to be stopped? Like, I wouldn't trust any influence of anything that isn't the person who created the device 
to be able to push it forward in the direction it's supposed to be headed for. I mean, the only we talk about incentivizing the first thing I thought of was Nobel Prizes. To be honest, that's the only reason why I think anybody would originally stick with their original mission of a goal is to get a Nobel Prize. I mean, as maybe that's why Bill Gates has been trying to win so many by doing so many philanthropic things or whatever you want to say. I think they don't give Nobel Prizes for artificial intelligence research, for instance. They should. Well, I'm I'm not sure that it would change the nature of the research being done. The the profit incentive is what drives artificial intelligence research or military incentives. So, I mean, let's talk about a specific example. What's, what's a technology you're worried about? And let's talk about whether politics can or should be taken out of it. Biomedical technology. Okay, biomedical technology used to be whatever people made up in their backyard um, and then sold to their neighbors. We called that snake oil. And um, 100 years ago, we discovered that a lot of people were being killed by snake oil and or at least wasting their money. And so we invented the Food and Drug Administration and the clinical trial regime. And the result is that the United States and the Western industrialized world in general has access to the highest quality medicine in the world. Um, and we generally know that it works. Um, and it's a little bit more expensive because it has to go through this rigorous testing procedure to make sure that it works. So. Um, and if you propose to the big pharmaceutical companies that we get rid of that clinical testing regime, they do not want to get rid of it. They do not want to get rid of it because they don't want to face a situation where they start selling things to people that kill them or make them blind, and then they get sued their pants off. By going through a clinical testing regime, it protects the innovation of new medical therapies because it says, look, we did the due diligence. We tested it here, you approved it, and then we started selling it. So yeah, we'll, we'll take whatever responsibility after that. But so the clinical testing regime is part of it. Having a, uh, a population that is capable of innovating in the first place is part of it. So having one of the reasons why the United States has become a leader in biomedical innovation is because we steal the brains that were trained from all over the world um, to come to the United States to do that kind of research. Um, and we don't invest enough in our own brains. Um, so China now is holding on to more and more of its own scientists. We have to start training more of our kids in STEM fields in order to become to maintain our innovative lead because the days by, in which we are going to be able to steal brains from other parts of the world are declining. So that's a government responsibility. Private industry has no incentive or capacity to prepare the STEM workforce of the next generation. Basic biomedical research, private industry has no capacity or incentive to invest in basic biomedical research. It's only the National Science Foundation, National Institutes of Health, and their European counterparts who drive basic biomedical research in the world. Um, so at every step of the, love, at, of the way, all, everything that we benefit from in terms of biomedical uh, science is a government responsibility. At the very end, then venture capitalists come in and say, okay, of these new postdocs who have invented new things out of their dissertation research, which ones can we hive off and invest a couple million dollars in and see if it turns into a profit-making opportunity? I think that is a part of the ecosystem. It's a part of the innovation ecosystem 
they have private venture capital and and larger cap and biopharmaceutical companies, et cetera, et cetera, um, that invest in innovation. But then the question is, what do they get invested in? What who who what kinds of things are they interested in investing in? Are they investing in longevity therapies, for instance, which I think, you know, from the futurist perspective, the majority of the diseases and the costs of disease in society is driven by uh, diseases related to aging. And if we could figure out aging as a cause of disease, we could reduce all kinds of diseases. Instead, you know, inst there's very few firms willing to invest in the biology of aging or therapies for aging itself. What they want to invest in is cures for, again, erectile dysfunction and things like it, you know, heart disease and cancer. Um, which is, it's, okay, heart disease and cancer are important, but if we eliminate heart disease and cancer uh, from the population, it would only extend life expectancy about five years because the diseases of aging quickly catch up with you, even if you survive heart disease, cancer, and stroke, the major killers of old age. So I think for me, the longevity dividend, the benefits of investing in anti-aging therapies is very clear, and it's only something that governments have an incentive to do right now. As soon as there's a clear profitable opportunity, yes, big business is going to be all over it. But right now, only governments have that incentive to do it. So um, I, I just don't understand an, uh, an approach that dismisses government and says that big business is the, the solution. I'm not saying here. big business. If anything, I would suggest maybe private organizations or institutes like the future studies groups or something that would handle this technology and work, especially ethical bio-research and defense, whichever you want to say is regulated by the government, but private institutions that are able to do that as well, too. I don't put my hands in big business. I would never put my hands in big business. But when we talk about people that actually care about the actual direction of where this goes with no hand in the government pot, I really wish that, like you look at any research institute, if you look at any academics, and I've talked to plenty of them on my show, I know plenty of good people that are doing private companies or doing their own thing, working in a small group, they don't get paid to do it, but they're generally curious about the topics that they're interested in. I didn't realize how deep this guess your perspective of it went into politics because I've never really talked to anybody in the transhumanist part that really boils it down to that much that we might talk about the politics part but you kind of laid it out a little bit for me I mean is it not because I'm not I, I didn't want to come off like I'm not big business at all I'm not private investor I'm not any of that I just wish we had specific groups with that would oversee like we do have some small private groups and certain problems that do oversee issues and crucial parts and steps and ethical concerns on things as well too i don't think it needs to be really regulated by government as much but i also think they should have the funding that they deserve certain future institutes or future studies whatever you want to call it um like nick brostrom's organization whatever you want to say that is able to actually care about the product, care about the content that's being cranked out, cared about the actual movement, puts up their own articles, those all that stuff, be able to manage it as well too. Maybe not just one, but have multiple. Like I, I, I really put the power in people who actually care about the direction of the thing, like who actually know about it. Now, if that's a government that hires scientists to do that, I mean, sure, but I just, I'm not, I'm not a burn it down type. And I'm also not like a pro give them everything type. Cause I just, I just can't get over that inherent thing about people where they tend to do stuff that really makes themselves money, at least from what I've seen and from what I've understood. Um, if 
that's a different perspective than you have. Then I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm interested in hearing it. I'm not against it at all. I'm just trying to figure out because you look, everyone says everything boils down to politics. I'm not super 100% want to be in on politics on either side, but I also would like to see the human race excel in any direction. And in some places, we don't, there's no opportunities for that. China, you don't have an opportunity to excel anything in the way that going against your government. This we do have speech, but at the same time, I also want to see benefits when you see so many paper trails that lead back to certain politicians, whether either side, it doesn't matter. I don't, you start to have a, a transparency issue where I start going, what happens if like biomedical technology, what you just laid out about it, kind of like, okay, that's government, this government, this, I mean, are we trusting hundred percent that it's going to go on the dirt? correct direction if it's being skewed by government in a sense would it be what, better what what are you worried about a government doing with biomedical technology oh it doesn't have to be just biomedical technology but when it comes to like autonomous vehicles if you have it owned by certain corporations what stops them from just saying oh you can't leave your house today i well, don't know well, wait 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 i'm a, i'm worried about corporate corporate ownership of technology but let's okay. you i thought you were worried about government involvement in Isn't technology it, it's all the same it's all the same. It's all the same. It's all the so, same. So neither governments nor corporations should be involved in technology? I think, I mean, you can't stop corporations from making their own autonomous vehicles. Yes, uh, you can. You can? It's called a law. Yeah. Okay. Explain more. <laughs> well, so if you're worried about, for instance, autonomous vehicles, killing people willy-nilly on the street. No, I'm not worried about that. I'm more worried about this. You're not worried? Well, I mean, I, you, you are worried about that, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, though, with how good autonomous vehicles are. I mean, you think you, uh, Tesla's not killing people on the they, side of the street. They already have been killing people. Uh, see, I talked to someone in autonomous vehicles. He had a different perspective on that. Well, the it's empirically obvious that they have killed people in the streets. The question is whether they kill enough people to make a law about it or how, what kind of law it should be. So look, no, let's, let's get back to reality. In reality, the people who are creating autonomous vehicles are corporations and the people who have the responsibility to determine when they're safe enough to be on the road are governments. That's true everywhere. And that's the question that we face. And if anyone proposes that I, that either side needs to be taken out of the equation, I don't see how that works. So the, the only question really is, what should the regulations for autonomous vehicles be? Um, how safe do they need to prove themselves to be and how uh, before they're allowed to be used? I think eventually autonomous vehicles will be safer than human beings. We may eventually get to a place where it should be illegal for humans to drive and only autonomous vehicles should be allowed on the road. We're far from that, but um, I think the only question is how safe do they need to be right now to be on the, on the roads, right? Do you disagree with that? I don't think we have the technology right now. We're not at level five. Level five is more what I'm talking about when it comes to being able to actually drive your car anymore. If we talk about no humans driving at all, if that's illegal, um, even if it's getting in your car, imagine if we go by eventually like how this pandemic was where there were situations where people were calling the cops on other people for having a party or having more than three people over in their family. You get to the basis of how China was this social credit system. I mean, if you do something wrong and we're at fully autonomous stage five of vehicles, 
what stops you what stops them from just locking the car so you can't leave your home if you didn't do a certain thing or didn't do whatever they would deem right though it doesn't just stop there when they do one thing it tends to go overboard and more things start to lose do you think people who drive drunk should have their driver's license taken away yes then why shouldn't the government have the right to lock your autonomous vehicle if you've broken the law? What, does it stop at just breaking the law? What happens if it comes to just not paying your bills on time? What happens, that's what China's social credit system is. If you not even just jaywalk, not even jaywalk, if you do something that the government doesn't deem right, then they can you can lose credit, you can stop okay. stop from getting a home. I, what I'm I, saying is, is it, it leaks into that. As much as you can say that I'm, the government- I'm, fine, I'm yeah. fine with your example, but your example precisely proves what I said at the outset. The problem is fashion and democracy. The problem is not technology. If you're worried about a government uh, penalizing people for things that they shouldn't be, then you're worried about liberty and democracy and fascism. You're not worried about the technology. The technology is irrelevant. I wasn't saying I was worried about technology. I didn't want government thing into that because that's how it's going to end up turning. It's going to make the technology bad. I think it's not the technology that's the issue. It's the user. So, so wait, if, if a government takes away driver's licenses from people who are convicted of driving drunk, mm-hmm. is that the first step towards fascism? Is that the first step towards the social credit system? Or do you think it's possible to, to make a distinction? between government legitimately restricting people's liberties for violating the law and what the, is happening in China. If you think there's, you can be, create a distinction between those two, that's what I'm asking us all to think about. How could we have regulations on autonomous driving, which I think everybody agrees there should be, what kinds of regulations uh, respect people's freedom and at the same time respect the public safety? That's the question. And, and if one just throws one's hands up and says any kind of regulation leads to fascism, that's not helpful because that means that the only alternative is to live in Somalia or to live in China, you know, Somalia with no central government law or China with too much government law. The, what we have in the United States and what we have in Europe and what we have in a number of other democratic countries around the world is a balance between those two an attempt to balance public safety and individual freedom. It's the same with COVID. China is obviously insane in what they're imposing in Shanghai and Beijing uh, and unnecessary and unhelpful in terms of controlling COVID. Um, And Europe, I think more or less, although there's a lot of variation there, got it right. And the United States killed about a half a million unnecessary people um, by having polemicized, or at least the Republicans did, polemicized against masks and vaccines. You know, we are almost unique in the industrialized world in the degree to which public health was polemicized against by fascists um, in the United States, and we had a million people die. And I think half of those people would still be alive if the Republicans had not decided to say that somehow wearing a mask or getting a vaccine was uh, you know, a, a plot of the Illuminati. Um, so there's balance here. You know, there's a distinction between you know, being an absolute free-for-all where you know, cats lying with dogs and yeah, fascists running around with guns. Right, that. yeah, we don't want that. We also don't want China. So let's talk about what's in between. What, what are the legitimate forms of government regulation and the legitimate sphere of private innovation or individual liberty 
that need to be balanced in, an, in our ideal society. If you're not willing to have that conversation, then there's really no conversation to be had about technology because all the problems of technology are at that intersection of individual freedom, corporate innovation, and government regulation. I don't want to have that discussion. <laughs> I know. It's I, a, I want it's to a have painful. A... It's a sad discussion to have, but it's the one to have. Well, I want to talk about like a way to make the technology to where we're not having like it's not even it wasn't even about the government thing, just not having just humanistic like when the way I was thinking of it was more of a concept of in, when you implement technology into your head. I mean, the control aspect, that's my fear when it comes to like, could they just be able to control or be able to do this? But I see the positives in technology. But my thing when it comes to ethical issues is what stops it from getting to that point. But I think when we started this, you're at like a level 10 thinking I was assuming it was like this way, or maybe I was mis saying what I was saying. I don't want the fascists. I don't want any of that stuff. I'm just looking to way to use the technology for a benefit to actually help rather than hurt. I don't care who does it. If it's a Republican or a Democrat that gets us there, I don't care. I just want to make sure it doesn't lead us down this route where we end up destroying ourselves even more than we already have with Twitter or all these other devices. So you're interested in brain machine interfaces? and I don't know about that either. I don't think I want to start with that yet. Can I dip my toes in with an autonomous vehicle first? Okay, sure. Well, I've already given you my general opinion I know. on autonomous vehicles. I don't know. Technology, like I'm a Luddite probably at heart. I've been talking more about this because I've been more interested in like, there's, um, what is it? Quantum archaeology. Not, is it quantum archaeology where you're able to like 3D print stuff? I've talked to people that were brought up that topic. That's fascinating. I like the option of nanotechnology i'm trying to understand more about it but i just don't see my only issues is always with human error using this technology i don't see a whole lot of issues with the actual technology that makes sense uh like people not... using the technology in a really bad way rather than the technology being used for what it's probably intended to be used for okay give me an example oh god um, I don't know, Neuralink, if you're able to read people's thoughts, what stops someone from hacking it or what some stops them? like even with, um, uh, medical advances today, like people, most medical dosages can be transmitted or, uh, adjusted through a device. What stops someone from hacking that device and being able to mess with it to where it gives someone the wrong dosage of things. I mean, and, stuff and if I said laws. Now. If I said laws, would okay, that people be an... break laws though. That's the thing. It's like what stops. What I'm saying is what stops when you have technology that's implemented into your head, much like you could have an example like that. You can have a law out there, but how many people don't obey laws? There's a lot of people out there, other countries as well, too. We have it with our devices. We have it with our data as well. Now there's corporations that do stuff like Google will take a small bit of your data. Sure. But that's whatever. It's kind of signing on because you're using their technology. But what stops someone from overseas from putting out your text messages, putting out your phone calls but but things. but you agree that just because people break laws doesn't mean we shouldn't have laws yeah i i think we need to have laws what well, it does this isn't like a getting my opinion or getting my question on this this is like no, a, no, I'm, i'm just i'm clarifying this is i'm leading you through I you're think, attacking me i feel like no, i'm no. being attacked i i i'm a teacher uh, and i've been teaching this stuff for a long time and you know you're not the first person i've heard with these kinds of opinions. I'm just leading you through what I think are the necessary steps of reasoning. If you think that 
it's better to have laws than no laws, and that sometimes people break laws, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have laws, then the question is what kind of laws could we have that, and do we already have, that would protect people, for instance, with brain machine interfaces, protect their mental privacy or protect their personal data or protect them from external control or whatever. But let, let me just make it more concrete. We already have a situation where um, implanted medical devices, like an insulin pump, an artificial pancreas, um, it has a Bluetooth connection to a person's phone so that it will tell you your blood sugar is low, I'm gonna give you a shot of insulin. It's a you know, little device that's implanted in their side and it monitors their blood sugar and it automatically adjusts their insulin level and they can monitor it with their cell phone. That already exists. And because it has that Bluetooth connection, it is hackable, right? Somebody could get in and hack your phone or hack the device and give you too much insulin or stop your insulin and cause you to go into a coma and die. And we know that intelligence agencies around the world have an interest in this because if a politician had one, then you could get them right. You know, if Putin had one, we, we could take care of the problem tomorrow. Um, uh, but we also know that individuals don't want to be hacked and they don't want errors to occur. Yeah. So there is a division of the Food and Drug Administration whose responsibility it is to ensure the safety of biomedical devices. And, and part of their purview is ensuring that those kinds of devices can't be hacked. We also have laws such as HIPAA about protecting people's personal information privacy. So if someone, if that device was not secure and people were able to get to download all of your diabetes information and know exactly where you were and what foods you ate and all that, that would be a violation of your personal privacy. And that's illegal because of the laws that we have. And so usually if there's a problem that people imagine with the technology, it's either already been addressed by some kind of law or has to be addressed by some kind of law. So we don't get to just say, I'm not interested in politics. This is politics. I know, if you're I concerned, if I you're concerned realize. about brain, brain machine interfaces or biomedical device safety or any of these things, it's politics. I know. I didn't realize how deep it got. That kind of sucks because then I start to worry because the more we use technology, the more it incorporates not just from an insulin pump, but how, how many people want to incorporate more into their life when they have the option to incorporate more into their life? How do you have a law that covers so much? If everything eventually becomes technology advance forward do you have to have individual separate laws for each and how do you regulate such when so many interesting devices are being created at once i mean do you know exactly all the technology that's being created right now there's a probably a lot that we don't know about whether it's in other countries that eventually come here or whether it's another scientist that's working on something different from one that you might be working on i just look at this aspect of how do you create laws and rules and regulations for every single thing out there it's kind of like trying to monitor every single phone yeah we have systems in place that can cover a wide brand of it or wide range of it but how do you cover it all i you know i i'd not i i get like when i said i wasn't interested in the politics i'm not really interested in the bickering of trump and the bickering of biden from either of that i'm more boiled down to i don't really necessarily want regulations i mean i get i guess it's involved in politics it's kind of involved in everything but i mean 
separate organizations, I would say, not private billionaires. I don't know. I just try and find a way where we don't have to, you know, what's going to stop someone from going, I don't want that insulin pump because of Trump. I don't want it. Like, that's the dumbest shit to me. Like, you, you start seeing the, the regression of society, in a sense, when you can't get over the political party point. You can't just look at the base materials or the thing that might actually help you out in an instance, all because you don't want to get it because of your political party. You see what I'm talking about, though? Like, I'm not like I'm in this like standpoint. Maybe you're just kind of looking at me like, oh, shit, this kid doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm just looking at it like an aspect of like there's technology out there that can be used for so many beneficial things. Cell phones, whatever you want to say that we have now and plenty of others I'm probably not even thinking of. Is that just going to have to be government? I'm, I get government regulation. Sure. But is there. It, doesn't that sway upon whoever's in office? Like, can't they just change rules depending on this person from the previous administration did all this? I'm going to tear up all that and then do this. That's what it's you're putting something that is going to be implemented and eventually going to be in actual people's bodies in a big part of their lives, much like the Internet's a part of a lot of people's lives today. Does that just change at the top of the hat, depending on whoever's in office? That's ridiculous. I agree. Let's come up with a better system. Okay. How do we do that? Well, okay. Um, my... That's a good point, though. Like, I'm not wrong in saying that. Like, I'm not a tear it down anarchist Mad Max type, and I'm not a 100% like utopian government type either. I just think that you got to make sure that the ethical people are in charge of these things, too. And I think everyone can be swayed. I just got to get to this point where there's no incentive to be swayed a bad way. If, if we agree that there need to be rules, and that rules are always controlled by whoever controls the rule makers, which is what we just said, um, and that that's unfortunate, then we have to talk about different ways of making rules. So in some societies, um, the rule makers for technology regulation, for regulatory agencies in general, are relatively insulated from corporate and political interests. So in other words, at the EPA, for instance, or the Food and Drug Administration, you have a layer at the top who are the political appointees, and then you have the, the permanent staff who are hopefully scientists and experts in regulatory affairs and things like that. Now, those people have their own interests, their own biases, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the deep state. Um, but uh, if, as you say, uh, a Trumper comes in and says, no more rules, or uh, there's no climate change, so the EPA can just disband, you know, take the day off, everybody. Um, and then a Democrat comes in and says, okay, we're back to controlling climate change and everybody get back to work. That's not a functional way to do it. So you want to have your regulatory agencies as independent from corporate and uh, political change as possible so, they, so the functions of the government can go on day to day without being disrupted too much. That's, I think, part of the answer. But the fact that those agencies also have their own interests and that they can become sclerotic and slow moving and um, you know, they can make bad decisions means that we also have to be concerned about updating and modernizing government regulation for the 21st century. An example for the Food and Drug Administration is the, the constant attention to attempting to streamline the approval of drugs and medicines because the longer it takes and the more expensive it is for a drug to come to market, 
the more difficult it is for things that could be potentially beneficial to get there. So we want to streamline that, make sure it's as safe as possible within a very short time frame. So there have been efforts for decades to streamline them. One that I'm very interested in is using biomarkers of aging, for instance, for aging-related research. The short uh, ex explanation of that is that if I told you that, I, that taking this drug would cause you to live longer by reducing your risk of heart disease, cancer, and stroke, and you're whatever you are, 25 or something, and you're not going to have those diseases for another 30 or 40 years. Um, so we don't want to wait 30 or 40 years to see if they're going to be beneficial. And I'm 60, and I, you know, it still would take a long time if I were to enroll in a trial like that. So what we want is something that can be used as an outcome measure other than dying of those diseases, and that's called the biomarker. So in other words, if my telomere, if telomeres were a, a useful, you know what a telomere is? It's, yeah. There are little caps of proteins on the end of our, of our chromosomes. And the leading theory is that as cells divide, those caps uh, get shredded, and eventually as they get too shredded, the chromosome unravels and that, that contributes to the aging process. So if you can maintain, there are efforts underway to see if you can maintain the length of these caps on the ends of chromosomes with telomerase and that would potentially lengthen people's lives and allow cells to replicate longer. Um, so at any rate, if, if you, okay, I've lost my train of thought now. But, <laughs> um, so there, there are kinds of research like that um, that I think we should be pursuing. I, I forget where I was going with that, but hit me. Um, how much weight do you put in? Uh, is it is it cry, cry, cryonics? Cryonics? Do you think that's an effective method? I know that gets a lot of stigma on it, and I haven't really talked to anybody in that field per se. I I understand it freezing cells or freezing. Um, I know we freeze some tissue. Um, for instance, but freezing a whole person to wait till we have a cure for a disease to be able to figure it out later. Um, or just, I didn't, it, it, is that something you're against? Is it information you can give me on it? I, I'm neither against it nor for it. Um, uh, my position on cryonics is that the, it, it's very few people are going to benefit from it. I, I'm principally interested in the things that are going to benefit the vast majority of human beings. Um, I think very few people are going to benefit from cryonics, if anyone. Right now, it's more or less equivalent to freezing hamburger and hoping you can turn it back into a cow. Um, and the, by the time we get to the technology that would allow you to take frozen hamburger and turn it back into a cow, we will have technology that will allow living people to do <laughs> Not to stay alive a lot longer and to do a lot, a lot of other things. Because that, that level of nanotechnology that is imagined for the effective retrieval of human consciousness from frozen brain tissue is extraordinary and it's not on the immediate table. So um, I do think that if people want to, and I understand from an individual point of view, and I have friends who are cryonicists, of course, um, and I'm, I'm fine with them. They want to um, engage in this long-term medical experiment, is what I consider it, um, that may eventually pay off in them waking up in some 
simulation of who they were. But I think the other problem I have with Granix, though, is that there's a lot of um, unexplored or unexamined questions about what it means to be us. Um, because, for instance, you know, the most cryonicists nowadays get neuros. They just have their heads chopped off and frozen. I, I think the logic of that is sound. Um, by the time we get to the technology to turn frozen hamburger back into cow, we also will be able to build the rest of the cow. We'll be able to clone you from your, you know, one or two of your cells and, and reattach your head to your body. Um, that, that, I think, is a more proximate prospect, actually, head transplantation, which is some people have been attempting in various ways around the world. But um, so by the time we get back to that, you will be able to do that. But what's unexamined is how much of you needs to be recovered from the frozen brain tissue for it to be a success. Uh, right now, if you're in a brain, if you're in a, a car accident and your head gets smashed, and you're in a coma for a couple of months and you wake back up and you don't remember your name, your childhood, you can't walk, you have to do everything, learn everything all over again as you're a child. No one says, hey, you're not Joe anymore. They say, you used to be Joe, you will remember being Joe again. Here's a picture of you as Joe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we just assume that the real person is still in there even if they've forgotten it. But do should we assume that, right? If I scrape you up off of the street, what is the point, really, of putting you back together? And I think that's got, that's going to be the question in the future with these frozen brains is, okay, we've unthawed a couple of them. We tried to wake them back up, and they were basically entirely new people. They didn't remember their name. They didn't remember their childhood. They didn't have any of the same skills. Um, and so we basically created a new person in this, in this new body that we made for them with an old brain and an old head. Um, and is that a worthwhile thing to do? Is it really what they intended in the first place? Because everyone, when they freeze themselves, imagines that they're going to wake up like it was just a nap. And it's not going to be like that. Um, so I think there's a lot of unexplained, uh, unexplored uh, questions with this. But if people want to engage in the experiment, I have no problem. They're just they're providing fodder for that kind of research in a hundred years. So let's let's see what happens. Do you expect humans to really excel forward in the tr either? I mean, even with future technologies as well, too. Or do you expect us to kind of like fumble it up a little bit? You don't think we fumbled it up already? I think we have. I'm just making sure I don't piss you off again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I expect us to continue fumbling the way we did. The question is whether we wipe ourselves out. Um, I think this is going to be a very dangerous century, and it probably just gets more dangerous as we go forward. Um, we have, we've had nuclear weapons for 60 years, 70 years. Uh, we've got now biological weapons that could probably wipe us all out. Um, the weaponization of of existing uh, pathogens could be an existential threat. Um, and then we've got artificial intelligence potentially being able to do things that we don't expect. I think there's a lot of scenarios of how artificial intelligence wipes us out. One is 
that artificial intelligence is just the reflection of our existing geopolitical conflicts. You know, that the, a Chinese artificial intelligence pitted against an American artificial intelligence. If you actually, if you go back to the science fiction imagination about these things, the Forbin Project, which was, I think, 1964 movie, um, it has all these tape reels going back and forth for the, you know, the Department of Defense computers, but basically the American Department of Defense computer contacts the Russian Department of Defense computer and says, you know what, the solution to our problem is just to establish a dictatorship over the humans because they don't know what they're doing. And so they established the, the first Terminator regime and it's a directly a reflection of you, you tell a computer achieve X and they say, oh, okay, well, your, your liberty it does not, it was not one of the specifications. So locking you all down seems to be the only way to achieve that. At any rate, I think there are existential threats from artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, genetic engineering, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and not to mention the conventional nuclear weapons. And we're currently in an international conflict where nuclear weapons are being threatened. So um, we're in a very dangerous century. And yes, technology um, is raising the stakes across the board, but um, we've already been there since 1945. Um, it's not a new situation. And I think the solutions are the same. And that is to establish a world in which rogue states do not get to threaten the world with weapons of mass destruction. And in which we um, have the capacity to ensure that weapons of mass destruction are not being developed by individuals or you know, by, by anybody who's not permitted and heavily regulated. It's fair. Um, Jesus Christ, uh, when it comes to transhumanism topics, this is definitely one that I didn't, I don't think I've ever dived this far down into the politics aspect of it. Usually it's a lot of talk about beneficial things that we can do or fears when it comes to ethical concerns. Well, a lot of the people in the transhumanist uh, community just want to masturbate to fantasies of techno utopian perfection <laughs> without taking seriously the reality of the world that we exist yeah. in. I, I, mean, I, I get know, it. Yeah, I'm with abortion you. Abortion is about to be made illegal in the United States. We're going back 100 years. 100 years ago, it was illegal to give someone a condom or to tell them how to uh, practice safe birth control in the United States. We're going back 100 years in terms of women's freedom in this country. And if transhumanists don't think that's a technology issue, then I'm sorry, you're living in la-la land. That's I mean, the this... user experience I talk about I have concerns with is because if we're going back 100 years with that, I can only expect what we do with amazing new devices that are put into our hands. Well, our yeah, I mean, exactly. What, what, if we went back to um, you know, the time of the Pinkertons and the Comstock laws and people had genetic engineering, well, we already know you, menstrual tracking oh, apps God. on your phone, okay? Menstrual tracking apps are going to be sued by anti-abortion states to see if your period stopped and then suddenly it tracked you going to the next state over to Chicago for an abortion. And then when you come back to Iowa, they're going to put you in prison because your menstrual tracking app said that you violated the law and murdered your baby. Why do we have an app so, for that? <laughs> yeah, well, this is the, this is what I wanted to talk about was the issues here, but. 
least you see I'm that, not like that's an issue. I know in the beginning we kind of we kind of I guess we miscommunicated a little bit or I did maybe my thoughts of this. I'm not like this burn it down type. That's my scary thing is like why do we have an menstrual app? Why is there all this type of stuff? I don't know. I mean, if it helps, it helps, I guess, but it's scary. Look, I, I, I track everything about my health. Okay. I, I think We're people should be that. able to track things about their health. Oh, no. I just don't, I want this data to stay in my control, right? There you go. I don't want uh, uh, anti-abortion zealots in Idaho to have access to my personal health data. And that requires a law how dare you they... think i was a republican in the beginning i, I, I didn't say th that i never said I knew you thought it. you were heading towards it. you you said you were a libertarian you didn't care about politics i'm just saying i'm not like like how most libertarians are i just honestly i don't even i just can't it's too much it's too much i'm just Our... saying in this world you can't take that pass that pass doesn't work anymore <laughs> if you're a libertarian you're political i just want to sit and watch seinfeld that's all <laughs> um james i appreciate you giving me your time and i'll have to have you back on i want to do a transhumanism discussion with a couple other people hopefully not the ones that are masturbating to futuristic dreams but i know <laughs> i know you're talking oh about. no <laughs> don't get me wrong i i enjoy masturbation <laughs> <laughs> um but james is there a place where people can find you yeah ieet.org the institute for ethics and emerging technologies we're also on facebook and twitter and uh, we publish the Journal of Ethics and Emerging Technologies. So check us out. I'll make sure to link it all in the description. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the blank.